Hello, hello, hello. Hello and welcome to TIB, the Immigrant Bag Podcast. I'm your host, Modupe Ogunyemi. If this is your first time tuning in, this is the place where we talk about tips and insights to help immigrants secure the bag. As always, we start with a disclaimer. This is not financial advice, and I am not a financial advisor. Everything we say on this show is for education and entertainment only. Please note that investing comes with risks, so please do your own due diligence or consult a financial advisor before making any investment decision. Okay, last week, we started an absolutely exciting conversation with a brilliant, brilliant special guest. And today, we are bringing you a continuation of the interview. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. But what about interest? You know, you know, how about factoring in the bank's interest into that as well? So whenever it says you do pay back that ninety-five, uh, that ninety-five k you got from the bank, you're probably not paying ninety-five. You're probably paying back one twenty. You know, with interest okay. compounded. So this example I gave wasn't an example of a good investment. It was just an example of how to use leverage. You know, just to mention buying a personal residence is not a good investment. Well, it's, in some cases, it could be, but it's not necessarily the best use of funds, right? Um, and I can share more about that. But I was given an example of just using how, like how using debt you know, works. Um, so in, in that case, yes, you've probably paid interest, but the, but the expectation is the house has grown like more than the debt you're paying, right? So if the market crashes, of course, you know, you'd be in hot water, right? But if, if, as we've seen in Canada for the past few years, it keeps growing, the amount you build in equity would obviously be higher than what you're paying in. So that's just, a, that's just an example of how you, you leveraged someone else's money, which is the bank, to buy an asset that you ordinarily couldn't afford yourself. And then you use that opportunity to build equity for yourself. The bank does not have a share in that equity, right? Only you have the share. So you capture 100% of the equity, but you only paid 5% of the cost. That's leverage. I only had to come out of pocket for 5%, but I'm taking 100% of whatever gains. So, you know, just think about it. If, if you do a partnership with someone and someone says, hey, you know what? I don't want to do a partnership to buy this business. Oh, I'm going to give you 95% of the money. But whatever millions you make, it's all yours. You'd be like, ah! of course I want that, right? So... That's just leverage. Now, the, the the discussion around is it a good investment or not, you know, that's a separate conversation. Okay, can we go into that conversation, please? I kind of feel like, and this is not just in immigrant circles, I think for most people, you know, uh, I think the the general mindset or the mentality is that my house, like your house, your personal residence is the best investment that you can ever make in life. And a lot of people do you know, they throw their all into that. Um, and that's all they do, you know, like their entire working life and all that is, you know, paying off that mortgage, getting, getting that house and paying off yeah. that. So yeah, it's interesting, you know, uh, to hear you say that that actually isn't a great investment. So I'd love for us to- Let me contextualize that. So let me put that into perspective. So let's break it down. So there is 
buying the assets, which is the house, which is independent of living in it, right? So those are two different things. Buying the house itself is an investment. Living in it makes the liability. Okay, how so? If, for example, you and I have $50,000 in cash, or, or let's say both of us have $100,000 in cash, and then I go ahead to buy maybe a $2 million property in Toronto, and then you decide to buy maybe a four-unit building in maybe Kitchener. What happens is I've come out of pocket for $100,000. Right? I gave $100,000 as, as deposit into you know, this household. My, my, my 100K is tied in that house, right? And then I'm living in the house, right? So how, I, it, I'm feeling good. I live in Toronto. It's a $2 million house. And every single month, who pays the mortgage? I do, right? So in addition to my 100K, I'm probably paying like, let's say it's 5K a month. So every single year, 60K is leaving my account. So I put 100K down payment and then 60K in year one. So I'm, I'm out of pocket for 160, another 60K in year two. Now I'm building equity, right? So that's the argument a lot of people say that I'm building equity. So maybe in year two or year three, you've put down 180K. So now you spent 100K and you've, as a down payment, you spend 180K in rent. So now you're out of pocket for like, 280, close to 300K. So let's say the house has gone up in value, you know, then maybe you pull out some money, you know, you feel like that was a good investment. And in, in those cases, yes, you've made money, right? But if you look at an alternative, like the person who used the 100K to buy four units in Kitchener can rent out three of those units, maybe even stay in one of them, right? Chances are that that mortgage that they are paying, which is maybe 5K, every month, chances are that the rent from those three units are covering the 5K, right? So now that person has also come out of pocket for 100K, similar to the Toronto person, but that person doesn't have to come out of pocket every month for 5K. So that 180K in three years that you spent because you, you loved your house, you know, that other person didn't spend it. That amount was paid down by their tenants. And in fact, the person was living for free, right? Now, that's just the rent. Now, imagine you're living in a beautiful house in Toronto and then, oh, the sink has an issue. There's a plumbing issue. Oh, wow, it's going to cost 10K. Who's going to pay for that? You, because it's your beautiful house, right? Chances are that if someone else was paying your rent, you know, you have enough cash flow there to cover that. So I think the simple way to think about it is, Money leaves your pockets when you are living in your house. Like you, you pay the down payment, you pay the rent. Money is leaving you. The only recourse you have is that your house appreciates. So that is the only way you can ever recoup that money. So from an investment standpoint, it becomes a risky investment because the only exit option you have to ever recoup the money you spent is if that house appreciates. Now, when you think through what has been happening this year with inflation, people that bought in January and February, for sure, for sure, they have to wait till 2025-ish to ever get out the down payment they put, to ever get out the rent that they're paying if they are variable, for instance. So from an investment standpoint, you can now understand how that, that is a bit stressful. 
right? So again, buying a, a house, buying real estate is always going to be an investment. However, should you choose to live in it and be the one that comes out of pocket for the money every single month, it's a liability. Because the, again, the definition of assets is something that puts money in your pocket and an liability is something that takes money out of your pocket. So if you buy a house and you put a tenant in there, that tenant pays you rent. Hopefully the rent covers the mortgage and something comes in your pocket. So that, so that house becomes an asset. The moment you move in and it's you that pays the rent, then it becomes, that house that should have been an asset becomes a liability to you. So the question is, if you have 100K or you have 50K, depending on, the, on what type of asset you buy, the question is, who is going to pay the mortgage every single month? Who is going to pay the utilities every single month? Who is going to pay the maintenance when something spoils? Who is going to pay the property taxes? Whoever is going to pay is the person who's going to register that as a liability. Whoever is receiving the money is the person that's going to register as an asset. So I hope that explains. It does, but let me let me be a bit of the devil's advocate here and say, what if on the flip side, you know, it's great when you have like, you know, multi-units and, uh, um, you know, you're able to house hack, put people there and able to live rent-free and all that. But we also know what's been happening, especially here in Ontario, uh, with the backlog of uh, cases at the you know landlord tenants board and all that, and I have actually seen instances where people, the people who own the houses, are actually out sleeping on the streets, sleeping in their cars, or, or looking for shelters because they've been unable. Like, because one, the tenants have no longer been paying. You know that that happened a lot during yeah, the pandemic. Yeah. I think it's carried on till now a little bit. You know, so the tenants are not paying. They're not able to evict the tenants. And they're still having to pay the mortgages and, and all of that. So what happens in instances like that? And how do you safeguard your investment against those kind of scenarios? Okay, so, you know, going deeper into this, right? Um, if you buy a residential property, you know, just a single family, your risk is higher because if that person doesn't pay, there's no other recourse. The more units you have, the lower the chances of that happening. Again, I use the, the the I use an example of a single family versus a four units. Chances that four people are going to stop payment at the same time is actually low, except you willingly chose to neglect doing due diligence to get those tenants in the first place. You know, yeah, we see stories on 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 on, on the web about people you know having these issues. And truth be told, is you know the media likes to sensationalize stuff, right? So. Um, I don't have the stats, but I, I would reckon that, you know, it's probably a, a minuscule percentage of people that actually face those issues. It, it can't be every single investor that has that issue. Like if not, then, you know, nobody would buy property in, in Ontario. So again, th there, there are a few things that can mitigate the risk. You know, don't buy a single family. By just buying a duplex, a triplex, a fourplex, which still qualifies for residential financing, that just mitigates your risk by just choosing to buy a multi-unit versus a single unit. That alone, without you having to do anything special, that alone just mitigates your risk because the chances of four people not paying is just way lower than one person not paying. So there are things that you can do that just mitigate your risk and, you know, it's, it's just a smart thing to do. So once you do that, you know, you, you have a higher likelihood of, of, of that not happening. 
Okay, this is where we will be drawing the curtains on this week's episode of TIB, the Immigrant Bag Podcast. I'm sure you'll agree with me that it's been an amazing, amazing conversation so far. It's been super insightful and enlightening. Next week, we will bring you a continuation of the interview. So make sure you don't miss it. And on that note, until next week, when we bring another exciting episode your way again, this is Mudupe saying, keep your friends close, keep your money closer, and keep your family closest.